to be clear, I am not personally experiencing police brutality. You know, like this is not something that is affecting me on a on a deeply personal level, but I am observing it in my everyday life. If you live in a community where it's not something that is on display for you, it's hard. It's really hard being in in those sorts of communities, having to take up the mantle to to fight this fight and convince people of what's going on. What up, world? And we are back with part two of our two-part episode. Tyler had to leave us, but I am here with Miss Hillary Ford and John Anderson to pick up the conversation where we left off. So last week, a week from last Friday, so as the week went on and things started to get a bit more organized, you had different, you know, collectives and actual organizations that were starting to, to put together these, these demonstrations. Um, you did see sort of a divergence, right. Of, of you had these longstanding community organizations that were putting together and leading demonstrations. And then you had, you know, well-meaning, um, Tim from, Greenpoint, you know, who really feels strong about this and, you know, wanted everybody to go riding bikes, which I would normally, I would have shat on that as being a super white boy thing to do. But the past few, I don't know if you've seen the past few days, we have had massive bike protests. I don't know if you've heard. I've seen those. Yeah. They're rad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's taken on a different level, but but I kind of made a point of like, if I'm going to show up at something, I want to show up at something that is being led and organized by, by frontline activists. Um, but even more than that, I want to show up in the communities where this is having the biggest impact. Um, by and large, most of the protests, and I will say I've only been in Brooklyn. I haven't gone to Manhattan yet because there's been enough. I live in Brooklyn. This is where there's enough going on here. Also, with the curfew, I had no idea how I would get home if I even went to Manhattan. And, you know, most of the looting has been there. So, so yeah, I've stuck to Brooklyn. Um, But most of the the marches um, have been in downtown Brooklyn and... um, gentrified areas, which I think there's a real, I mean, those first few days, there was a lot of talk, like, you know, started off in a low income Flatbush neighborhood and then made the, made everybody made their way up to downtown Brooklyn to wealthier neighborhoods. And there was talk in the crowd of everyone being like, yeah, let's, yes, let's fucking go to Borum Hill. Let's go to Brooklyn Heights where all those rich fucks are. Like they cannot ignore us. If we show up in mass in their neighborhoods. Which that's like, that is a strategy. And I, I really appreciate that. And I expect that it'll continue that way. But what I was noticing was that, you know, what about the neighborhoods where, you know, like those are not the neighborhoods that are experiencing, you know, minority 
police brutality on a day-to-day basis. They're just not, um, which it was really heartening to see people show up to Crown Heights and bed for that, the one I told you about that kind of circled around my, my neighborhood. But then I mm-hmm. saw, you know, it was put up, there wasn't a ton of information, but there was something being organized in East New York. And I assume you guys don't know East New York. No. If, if you had heard anything about East New York, you would have heard that it has the highest crime rate in the entire city. Um, gotcha. It is the poorest, one of the poorest, if not the poorest uh, communities in the city. Um, it's been plagued by so much uh, upheaval over you know decades now. There's actually a really phenomenal podcast I can plug called There Goes the Neighborhood. Have you heard about this? I think I have heard of that. Yes. Um, There Goes the Neighborhood from WNYC, Kai Wright. Um, Right? Yeah, Kai Wright did it. Um, And they uh, really dig into gentrification in Bed-Stuy, kind of where I live, and and East New York. So if you wanted to learn more about how East New York sort of evolved over time, that's a really great podcast to look up. And they also look at... um, San Francisco and Miami in different seasons. Okay. Anyways. Um, Hell yeah. But yeah, so, so East New York, I mean, maybe I was a little less intimidated. I have been living with teachers and, you know, two of my roommates worked in East New York, no, former roommates. So, you know, mm-hmm. like I've, I'd heard enough about it. It was also daytime. I have a car right now so I could drive. So it was easier, but you know, I decided that, you know, if they were going to organize in East New York, we should fucking show up. Like, this That's is awesome. where people need to go. Like, this is where the, the it, I mean, this is where it's a lived experience, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, granted, the weather was shit. Um, there were, you know, a confluence of factors that maybe made it less appealing for people to trek out there. East New York is on the way to JFK. Um, okay. It's, it's so it's, it, it is a little bit of a trek, but it's not that bad. Come on. It's, connected. <laughs> it's New York. We've got subways and buses and the buses are free. Anyways. Um, but I was, I, I was genuinely disappointed when I got there. It was an amazing group. It was, I mean, it, I was so glad that I, I showed up um, because people just like, like we were talking about bearing witness. It was mm-hmm. a, a really community oriented group of people. I mean, w- walking through these residential streets, like one of the, the chants that kept going was East New York, come outside, East New York, come outside. <sighs> and people were coming to their stoops and cheering and, you know, and people who were marching were like running up to like, high five their neighbors and you know it was a very different sort of uh vibe than than that that community vibe is one of my favorite things about protests where you you don't like you're walking down the middle of a street where you're normally driving there's this automatic like you can talk to everybody around you and it's not weird Mm -hmm. and everybody has something in common automatically yeah like you have this understanding with each other that's unspoken and it's so wonderful to just be around that and blake one of the things i miss the most and this is one of the things i was telling people uh who i was encouraging to go to the protests find the drummers 
because they're the ones that start the chants. And so you always, always want to be next to the drummers in the protest. That's the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Well, we've also had, um, um, I, we keep like getting off, but the, the other night when I was out late, super late on, on Monday, um, I will say one way, one way that, you know, white people, I guess, are stepping up to carry their weight is they had a loudspeaker. And of course it was, it was like the black youth activists on the microphone, but we had the white kids dragging it along the road for miles and miles. Hell yes. (laughs) Awesome. Putting in the work. Literally carrying the weight. Um, Yes. That's amazing. But they were blasting music at 1030. We sat down in the middle of Atlantic Avenue, which is, you know, a four lane major thoroughway. We sat down and this adorable, precious, um, like Asian kid read poetry to all of us, you know, in solidarity. And it was just, he was, oh, I loved him. Um, yeah, yeah, he had, we'd had a poetry break earlier in the day too. It was just, but his his whole thing is like, I, these are poets, you know, these are writers of color, women of color, like, you know, let's uplift their voices and, you know, it was wonderful. Um, but, uh, anyways, but yeah, East New York was, um, but it was different. Like, I agree with you. And in these general protests, there is that vibe. You can strike up a conversation with anyone. And, you know, right now we have people coming from everywhere, all over the borough, you know, converging. But East New York was different because, because it was East New York, people didn't, people from outside East New York just didn't show. Um, Which on the one hand was very disappointing to me because I think one of the most important uh, responsibilities of an ally is to meet people where they are. Don't yeah. people come to you? Um, you know, like that's huge. Don't, it's not just, you know, it's, it's not just the emotional labor. It's, it's the physical labor of actually having to, to put yourself out there, you know, you know, mm-hmm. we need to show up. Um, and it's not that yeah. dangerous. It's the middle of the day. It's a big group of people. Right, right. I mean, I know there was a lot of concern, like if, if the police were going to be confrontational, maybe they would have been. I, I think it also helped that the police in my neighborhood handled it so well. There was a lot of concern. I was nervous um, that if things got really ugly the net days before, it was going to get ugly here. And it didn't. They handled it remarkably well. So, you know, I figured if the 77th and Crown Heights, you know, can can hold their batons and not, you know, escalate things. And, you know, maybe in East New York, they can do it too. And they did. Um, but, but yeah, nobody, nobody showed up. There was one other amateur photographer. Nice. I did see, I did see, um, there was, um, a, a well-known photographer. He showed up at the very beginning at the rally at the police precinct, but he didn't stay for the March. Um, but yeah, so it was a very community oriented, but what that meant was that, um, at the end, you know, I still stood out. I got to know the organizers. I met the organizers and I've been meeting up with them, um, at other places and it's, yeah, it's been, I'm so glad I went. How did we even get on that? I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) No, that's, um, that's fascinating. I have a question. I just, I was curious, is, is this um, one of your first like real 
protests that you've participated in? Um, I mean, of this magnitude? Well, actually, we we haven't had anything of this magnitude since the 60s. So, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if anybody yeah. can say they have. But, um, no, in college, I was involved um, with the living wage campaign. There hasn't been, I mean, I was gone for Occupy Wall Street. Um, right. That was right after we graduated, right? And I probably yeah. moved back to Asia. So I was gone <laughs> for that. Um those were an adventure. We Blake and I, especially, we we had some adventures on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that, that's like that's your real background, right? With organizing and protest, right? That was our. That was our. Well, at least I guess I should say my first real experience. Like I went to a protest in high school, and it was like twelve <laughs> of us on a fucking street corner and uh, protesting the war in Iraq. But you know, Occupy was there was some shit that happened there that was bananas like one time blake and i ended up negotiating between protesters and the police and like running back and forth between the the line and stuff that was gnarly like you know like we we had those experiences at occupy but occupy got weird um as it got colder yeah Yeah. Uh, and so and then it was like it, it got very far left like like way too far left for me which is a whole thing oh, uh, yes. oh. so yeah that was that was unfortunate but it you know a lot of a lot of what i've been seeing has been similar to that but it it makes me so sad because i haven't been able to go to any um well you gotta take care of yourself you know and yeah you've got yeah. you've got different um modes of of supporting the movement now you've got your podcast you've got You've also, like, yeah. I think, you know, you've got more years on you so you can have more more thoughtful and uh, impactful conversations, right? You know? Yeah, and I'm trying to organize the, the people in my life to do those kinds of things, you know, and and then... And trying to have some humility about, like, okay, do you want to go to a protest because you're going to fix racism, or do you want to go to a protest because protests are fun? Exactly. And, like, it's... Be- yeah. That, I will say, has been... I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, as the time has gone on, those people who were just going, those first few nights where things got ugly, there were definitely. Anarchists? Well, in Brooklyn, you know, the, the anarchists were showing up super organized in Manhattan. I personally don't know that I, I saw yeah, I mean, you can kind of identify the anarchists, you know, yeah. <laughs> even if they're not going all black block, you know, most yeah. of what I saw were bored, white, suburban teenage dickheads who, you know, right. Just wanted to go fuck some shit up because exactly. what else are you going to do on a fucking Wednesday night you during know, quarantine? And probably think they're anarchists or, you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they wear a Che Guevara t-shirt. Who <laughs> You know, but they were, they were, you know, those were the ones that oftentimes were like when we had people of color up front who were like, when I got hurt, when I got shoved up off, well, basically what happened is I was on a median in the road. Um, we had marched, we were marching towards the bridge on a very big highway. Um, and then we got stopped by a line of riot, uh, police. And so, I was also getting anxious about, uh, you know, the crowds and coronavirus and we all have our, I had my bandana on and everything, but, um, I couldn't see what was going on cause it was uphill. And so I climbed up on one of the medians 
and a, a construction median, so it was a little wobbly. Um, but there was like a Telemundo uh, videographer next to me. Like it wasn't like you know I was out yeah. there on my own. Um, although he was he was clearly more experienced and got the hell out of Dodge right in time, whereas I did not. Um, but I got up there to get a better view to see what was going on and also, you know, get some air. Um, but, uh, yeah, at that time you had, you know, the people of color who had been guiding, you know, trying to peacefully move people along and closing the gaps. And they were up front trying to negotiate with, with the police that were, you know, were basically saying like, look, we've got what, at least 400, 500 people right here. We're here. All these people have to go somewhere, you know? And if you're saying we can't go, keep going on this road, you need to tell us where we can go. Like, this is just, this is what has to happen. Like you can't, just magically make these people disappear. So <laughs> tell right. us which way you want to go. Um, if it's not this way, it's got to be that way. So, um, <laughs> and while they were trying to have these productive conversations, you had, you know, I looked down and there's the fucking skateboarder, you know, it's just like, it's popping up like, suck my dick, you know, like, yeah. like chucking a water bottle, you know, and it was like, and that's not to say that there aren't, People like that very first night on Fort Green at Fort Green, um, those were young kids of color who were really venting who lit that van on fire. Um, to be very clear, like that, the, this anger is not there, it's not just like white agitators coming in, like this anger is, is very much homegrown. But there are also the dumb white fucks who think it's funny. Yeah. Like it's all, it's all of it, right? Like there are peaceful protesters. There's also fuckheads in the protesters. There's also outside agitators. Mm -hmm. Like we need to be able to not just say it's this or that it's this and that. Exactly. Exactly. It's all of it. And that's okay. It's all of it. That's it's okay. We have to be able to deal with nuance. Like if we're going to live in a democracy and we're going to hold the office of citizen, we need to be able to have like some discernment about nuance of a situation. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, boiling it down to either or is just pointless. Like it's just it's how we get into trouble. Yeah, it's how we end up with a terrible president and a broken <laughs> country. System. Oh, that's that is yes. another thing you can do if you you know obviously if you are stuck at home and don't feel like you can be out on the street, focus on the election. And it's not just, and it's not just the presidential election. Like I've been making calls for, um, uh, uh, in Kentucky. House House and Senate. Oh, uh, Amy McGrath. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Yep. No, you're good. I have a list of people now that are like, (laughs) that my mom is really, my mom's adorable. She's in Oklahoma and she's writing her, she's a part of the postcards and she puts her, sparkly little stickers on them and they send them out for different elections but she's always sending me different people but yeah like make some phone calls for Amy McGrath like you know um, uh, Lindsey Graham has a serious uh, uh, they're now yeah so yeah like there are things you can do like this is so much bigger than just right now like in the end we're focusing on the election is equally impactful as long as, as long as you keep this current moment and issue centered, 
You know, yes. like if you're going to be, yeah. if you're going to be focusing on the election, do that, but keep, keep people of color and black lives centered in that, you know, keep black trans lives centered in whatever yes. you're doing. Keep that, keep these issues centered in the conversation. Um, but yeah, we can't just on a, on one weekend post a black square and say you solved racism and call it good and move on to the next thing. Fucking get me started on that goddamn black square <laughs> <laughs> you gotta it's it, the the test of whether for every individual the test of whether you did a successful job in this moment if you care about this moment is what you're doing six months from now if you're doing something six months from now that is in tune with this even if it's not directly related like you said but if it's in tune with this you know that you are doing the right thing if six months from now you're like oh yeah remember black lives matter that was an interesting weekend you have fucked up and you are part of the problem and you need to recenter you know and i had this interest a similar conversation with um this woman i met uh one of the organizers of the east new york protest um uh anilda and she's, you know, new to the protest, you know, world. I mean, she's been, you know, engaged in different ways. Like, she's passionate about her community, but she hasn't been on the streets really at all. She doesn't identify with Black Lives Matter per, per se, you know, as an organization. Um, but she's proving to be a highly capable organizer. Um, but awesome. we were talking about this when we were marching um, late on Monday. We were um, talking about... You know, she was like, I don't, she kind of said it in a whisper because she didn't want to upset anybody. But, you know, everybody's been yelling, you know, say their names, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, you know, Ahmed and everyone. But she was saying, like, we've got to move on from that. Like, I know it might be too soon. Like, maybe in this one moment, it might be too soon to say we need to move on from George Floyd. But this is so much bigger than George Floyd. Like, this is so much bigger. And what she was saying is she was like, you know, if we just keep focusing on George Floyd and keeping him at the the epicenter of everything we're doing, then we, she was like, I'm worried we're going to lose sight of, of the forest, right? You know? Yes. Um, I think, I'm curious, I have no uh, experience outside the U.S. culturally, Um so preference what I'm about to say with that. But uh, I'm curious if we seem to individualize these things, right? And we put somebody on the pedestal as a symbol of the movement. And I'm curious about how much of that is a, a function of our individualistic society. And if we had a better collective society, we would be focusing more on a movement than we would be focusing on the leaders of that movement as symbols of the movement itself. And so again, like I think to our listeners, think about it that way. Like stop, stop thinking about leaders. You are the leader, right? Like each individual is the leader. And so you are responsible to go out and do something that is within your capacity don't don't externalize it and don't individualize it and even um what would you um it's almost like a personification of the movement and i think we need to get we need to get away from that i think that's important and that's not to say we can't remember these people it's very important to remember the martyrs along the way but it, the the movement has to be bigger than any individual mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well and i think it's also important that we i think um in the us we've over the past few decades we've we've 
trended towards nationalizing all of our politics, right? Yes, um, yes. 100%. And so, and I think part of this personification, you know, as you were saying, um, you know, creating these figureheads is a part of that, that trend towards nationalizing our issues. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and on, I mean, on the one hand, it, it does perhaps, you know, if it hadn't gone national in this way, it, it wouldn't have we wouldn't be seeing this, this sea change shift in public opinion. Um, but on the other hand, real change, direct action change comes from, from local activism. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really the challenge. I mean, I, I, um, saw, yeah, I've seen I've seen protest movements now around the world. Thailand is is a fascinating. They've just got this super vibrant protest culture. I mean, I I've always cool. wondered if the Occupy movement definitely took their tabs from Thailand because they have been doing that, literally occupying public spaces, like massive World Bank dams. Like I I know a community Whoa. that you know, they were flooded out of a dam. And so they eventually a decade later, they said, fuck that. We still don't have any land. So they just took over the dam and lived there <laughs> for 20 years. I worked on a wow. report, another, another community that was, um, you know, forced out of their village to make way for a state owned, um, rubber plantation. They did the same thing. 15 years later, they were like, fuck that. They moved on to the rubber plantation built houses, like built, you know, Whoa. you know, ad hoc community centers and, they were, and set up a garden and said, we're taking it over. Like this is, that's what they do. They, they occupy. Um, and ha, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Look up Thailand and their protest movements. I think you guys would find it really interesting, but you know, I've also seen riots, um, you know, post-election garment worker riots in Cambodia, the post-election violence in, in Nairobi. Um, you know, these things come about in different ways, but what I can say is that the more local and focused these movements are, the bigger their impact, the more, the more real policy change that will come out of them. And what I'm excited about seeing right now is while it is a national movement, like we were talking about earlier, each different, you know, city and area seems to have their own, their own policy objectives and, you know, modalities. Here's, um, I was on a, and I want to have her on the, uh, the, the podcast to talk all about this. She's going to, when she gets a little bit farther on, but we have a friend, Angela Bacus, who's been on the podcast before we went to elementary school with her. Uh, she's really, active in this and um we had a conversation this morning about it and uh she basically was like i want to fix all of the things you know and i was like well i love you for that but you can't (laughs) so like let's pick and she's like you know i bit what yeah exactly right like we need something one thing that's tangible so she's she's got an audience with the uh, city manager because apparently she's been pestering them with emails so she was <laughs> like what do i do you know and we we're kicking around ideas and she was like you know i want to give him all these things and i was like literally you need to do one thing do one get, give him one 
tangible request. And so she's like, I got it. I know what it is. And uh, there's a there's a little like walk around in town and they've got little plaques. And on one of the plaques, there it's just like, oh yeah, and by the way, the KKK was here a whole bunch. Isn't that cool? And it's like, no, actually, it's really fucking not cool. And so I was like, you know what you – and she was like, maybe we remove it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Contextualize it. Put a whole big thing there about the KKK was here and we feel a lot of shame about that, but we're not running away from our history. We're going to learn from our history and we're going to grow from our history. And so you put that plaque in there and that is something real and tangible that you have now fixed in your community. And she was like, it feels so small. And I was like, I know it does. But if every single one of us did that, we would fix racism. Like if every single person put as much effort in as you are right now, we would fucking fix it. So you're a hero and like, go get that fucking plaque down and let's, let's, let's like, that is a, a beautiful first tangible step to making a real difference. And also yeah, little and remind yeah. her to get him on the record, get him on the record and get that public. Yeah. Somehow. That's, I'll write that's that down, really, put it in a really fucking key. email. If you want accountability, when I, um, in Cambodia, I worked for the National Democratic Institute um, on democratic reform and election oversight stuff. And one of our primary programs was called Constituency Dialogues, which basically we just helped organize in rural provinces um, town hall meetings, essentially, because right. shocker, like, Maybe maybe elected officials should talk to the people that elected them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot like, of that. Yeah, whenever we were accused of you know bias or whatever, we're like we're literally just setting up tents and microphones for people to come <laughs> talk to the people that they elected. But um, a big part of what I was doing, well, I was writing reports, you know, for our funders back in DC. But um, we would track every single question. No matter how little, I mean, and some of these are rural. I mean, there were numerous times we had problems about water buffalo shit. You know, some, somebody's water <laughs> buffalo right. is shitting all over somebody else's rice field, and it's a big fucking problem. You know, like people yep. would bring really small stuff, and or, or they would bring really big stuff. Like, there's this highway, and there's a giant pothole, and we have children who have almost died on motorbikes when they've fallen into that pothole. Like, these are big issues. But we would record every single one, and at incremental points, we would follow up with those elected officials to see what progress yeah. we're making on every single point. But you have to get them on the record. That's the thing with these public yep. forums is that you have to actually get them to publicly state their stance on something. You know, yeah. that's key. So she needs to get them on the record and she needs to get either write a blog. She can write her own blog post or she can write an op-ed for what the Denver Post. Or, or maybe she can get on a podcast. Perhaps yeah. talk about her experience and then we can put it on the interwebs. Exactly. And then once you have him on the record with whatever he says, you know, mm-hmm. make sure she puts it in her calendar to follow up repeatedly. Hell yeah. That's, yep. That's how yes. you, you make it happen. Hell yeah. Hillary, would you, uh, could you give us a little uh, plug again for your Instagram account and where we can find your, your photography? Sure. Um, I really 
have been meaning for years now to set up my own website, but I just lost my domain, which I'm really bummed about because I forgot. No. I forgot to renew the GoDaddy, so I don't know what I'm going to do about that now. So Instagram for now. You can find me on Hillary. That's Hillary with one L, not two. H-I-L-A-R-Y, period, Ford, F-O-R-D, period, photo. And that's me on Instagram. And I literally just started it during quarantine. There's only 14 posts, but... I'm following it, and it's glorious, and everybody else should follow it. And I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it because Hillary is doing God's work. <laughs> I had I had most of this stuff on, on my personal Instagram, and then I just kind of decided I wanted to be able to post more cats on my personal <laughs> You know, it's good. and pictures of my it's nephew good. on my personal <laughs> and not have, like, all the heavy shit over there. So. I have been feeling that so hard because I go from, like, I'm very prominent about the fact that I'm, like, a hockey coach, you know? So I, like, throw out a whole bunch of hockey and then it's like, here's my cute dog. And then all of a sudden it'll be, like, like 300 straight posts over, like, two or three days of politics of me just losing my fucking mind about this shit. Luckily I haven't lost too many followers from like the hockey community. So, which is a goddamn miracle considering the hockey community, but, uh, you know, fingers fucking crossed. And I will actually, I will say for like the first time ever, I have been really proud of the hockey community's activism around this. Like, yes, for hockey, which is, you know, like, besides lacrosse, the most broiest of white boy sports. <laughs> it has been remarkable to see the sea change that has happened. Lots of people, lots of individual players coming out with like legitimately good statements of like that shit was murder and we all have to do better and we're going to be doing better six months from now and fuck the police. Like it has been really, really cool to see. So just in my little corner of the world, that's been fantastic. Yeah, um, awesome to hear. But yeah. Well, Hillary, thank you for joining us. Yes, yes thank you so much thank for Thank you for us. letting me ramble on incessantly. I'm usually not quite this... Well, maybe I am. I don't know. I haven't had... <laughs> it's been quarantine here in New York, and I've been alone. Hey. You've got a lot to talk about. about, you know. Thank you. Of course. It's it's an honor and keep keep you know, keep with the good fight in Denver. Yeah. It's it's right. great, you guys. Hell yeah. Godspeed everybody. Godspeed. Yeah, there was actually just today, I think I, I screenshotted it, there was um, a photographer who really encapsulated how I Hold on, I got it. I took a screenshot of it. It just, it really, really, really spoke to me. Um, uh, yeah, he said, I, I carry a camera in the crowd because it makes me brave. It helps me focus. It fights laziness. And it makes me a student of the present while rooting my brain in the language of history. Thinking in pictures lets you be right up close from a hundred years away. And that's so good. Yeah. That just, it was, um, Oh, 
I should really, um, crap. I should really look up what his name was before I start. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 he's a wonderful photographer. I can tell you that much. Uh, Tyler, you had a you had a question, didn't you? Yeah, you had a question. What was your question? I do. This probably will. Oh, uh, Daniel <laughs> Daniel Arnold. Daniel Arnold is the photographer there it is. who wrote those beautiful words. <laughs> 